Am I making any sense? Banter. All right. So, you know my my real goal, Ed? Yeah? With all of this, I'll tell you the Matthew McCarron long-term master plan, at oh. least what it was prior to COVID. Uh-huh. Prior to COVID, I was doing an experiment. Um, this entire open mic, comic, podcasting, it wasn't an experiment. It wasn't an experiment. Let me, let me rephrase that. I was on a journalistic mission. Right. And that journalistic mission would, was, I was curious, what would happen if I dedicated myself to something for 10 years? What would I look like coming out at the end of that 10 years? Okay. And the thing I was going to dedicate myself to was stand-up comedy, open mic stand-up comedy, and podcasting with those people around me mm -hmm. who were also doing the stand-up comedy. Okay. So what I wanted to do, it was almost like a documentary effort to, to trace my steps and your steps and everyone that we hang out with at all these open mic steps over the next 10 years. Oh, okay. That's pretty cool. And then I wanted to do a rear view mirror look at it and compile audio and compile video and make some kind of, you know, feature length docu uh, documentary movie mm -hmm. about the life of an open micer starting out the first 10 years in an open mic life. Wow. Anyway, that was my grand plan. Yeah. But I don't, it can't track anymore. And the reason it can't track is because I don't know what stand up comedy is going to look like when we come out of this. Yeah, well, nobody does, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, now I'm just doing it because I was doing it before and I'm kind of thinking, well, I don't want to just give up on something because who knows, maybe a year from now, we're all back at Woodham's, we're all back at Caravan and we're, we're chugging away. But it may be that stand-up comedy doesn't really come back in the form that we knew it as. Uh, but I think it's still worth it doing these podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Ed yeah. Rubin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Matt. Matt I have Ed Rubin here. here with Matthew McCarron, big time YouTube sensation. Exactly. Look, man. I'm pretty excited. I uh, I was felt lucky I didn't have to pay to be on the show. Hey, you know what? I just I hope you can handle the pressure <laughs> of being on a podcast that may garner, garner as many as 25 views on YouTube. It's a lot of pressure. Not everyone will be able to handle it. I th the, the, this is the reality now, Ed. I think the hard part is actually following Atu. He is a great guest. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. And actually, I enjoyed his and I enjoyed Bemo's. So I thought they were both really good. Yeah, I like both of them. Um, well, the thing about Atu is we all know him as the host of Caravan Wednesday Night. But he's actually, I mean, he's been on CNN to talk about um, justice reform and things. So he's been an activist for these, the kind of things that are hot under the microscope right now. Right. I mean, he's been in it for a long time. So it was good to have him on. I, I you know, I try to keep the podcast light and I, I try to keep it fun, but you know what? You can't turn a blind eye to stuff going on around us. Right, no, no. And it's so, um, It's yeah. definitely a perspective, I mean, you know, it's definitely a perspective I obviously can't have, so. No. <laughs> well, you give us different perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just like, oh, man, I'm going to have the white privilege interview now. All right. 
Cool. <laughs> yeah. I recognize that fact. I just can't, you know, can't change that. So. Ah, no, we can't change it. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's only so much any one person is going to be able to do. And for me personally, I think the most important thing is not to get neurotic about things. I mean, we all know the golden rule, treat those, treat others as you want to be treated. And so if you're navigating life with that, I don't think you should overcomplicate things too much. Right. Yeah. That's my opinion. What, what is my, my opinion worth? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> hey, my opinion is worth 44 subscribers on YouTube. That's what my opinion is worth. Oh, but, wow. But getting into it, man, how, how you been holding up? I want to, I really want to jump into, you had an experience this last Saturday where you did a live performance. Can we get into that? How did that go? Oh, <laughs> well, it didn't have, it didn't. <laughs> That's the answer. What? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, about an hour. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I'm sorry because I actually borrowed something from you. It's still in yeah. my car. Uh, so, um, everything was still looking like it was good. So the show was supposed to start at seven, okay. um, in Sunnyvale. Yeah. And, um, I would say about six o'clock we got pinged that there was going to be an hour delay <laughs> that it was going to start at eight instead of seven. Okay. And then, uh, 10 minutes later we got a ping. It's not happening. Because apparently somebody had tried to do uh, music outside, yeah, and uh, on third the two days before that, and the police booted them out because uh, yeah. they didn't have a permit, and apparently Sunnyvale is not giving out permits, no. and so it uh, yeah so it got canceled. So no I one to do your microphone cover back. Um, yeah. No, no I rush on that. owed it back to you, but uh, yeah. Anyway, I still appreciate you lending that to me. Yeah, no, I, um, I, you know, honestly, I was wondering about that. I was thinking if it wasn't just canceled, I was wondering if someone would come by and say, "Hey, you guys, get out of here," because the only conversation I've had around performing, yeah, in front of people is with Rachel, who, um, whose opinion, you know, I, 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 I really trust. And she yeah. said from, and this was weeks back, this was maybe even a month back. And she said that one of the biggest hangups going forward with performing, not just for music, but also for comedy is there's some kind of clause in there about even in phase four or five, that when live performances are allowed, you're not going to be able to have a shared mic or no, you're not going to be able to use um, mics or something like that. Cause when you think about it, mics is like, it's filthy. <laughs> I had, I mean, before we even were in COVID, I always had jokes about sharing a mic at an open mic. Yeah, you yeah. know, like you're put, you're putting your faith in a bunch of maniacs on how they take care of their mouth. You know what I mean? <laughs> Present company excluded. I'm sure you take care of your teeth very well, Ed. But, but there's a whole list of people that we share the mic with that it's like, uh, you know, there's spittles in there. <laughs> Well, you know what happened to me was, so the very last show I did, and COVID was already still sort of, like, I had already started working from home, mm -hmm. uh, but I did a show after that, uh, the, the, like, six days later, I think. Okay. And I was, uh, I was up there performing, and I felt my mouth touch the mic. Ooh, there you go, <laughs> getting dirty. Going. 
But as soon as I was done, I like rushed to the bathroom, threw all this water and stuff on my face. And I'm like, ah! Yeah. So I was, uh, I was freaked out then. I mean, you know. Just take a pot of boiling water and pour it all. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Try and disinfect from yeah, that. Yeah, no, I mean, that was definitely the time. That was, it's been interesting because I, I sort of caught up with your show in the last, uh, I guess, two weeks or three weeks. And so it's like a memory of, of those times because you were still doing the show at that point and then you mm -hmm. stopped for a while and brought it then came back again but uh yeah, yeah those were the times where you always wish oh my gosh i wish i'd started this doing this a week ago i wish i'd you know because things yeah. were just changing so quickly so um yeah it was crazy that, that was a crazy time i can't obviously i can't speak for all americans i'm just one point in 350 million people's opinions. But even though we had sickness in my household through February and March, yeah, and it was scary. And I, I was worried about my children because they both had pneumonia. Even though we were battling that and we were watching the news, hearing about COVID, I still had a very casual, almost arrogant opinion about COVID. And I think that's where the American attitude and the Asian attitude really differs because I think in Asia, every outbreak, they take very seriously. In yeah. fact, not even outbreaks, they take fever very seriously in China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Korea, which is why their culture incorporates masks. Um, and then in, in Europe, Europe is a kind of a more, they listen to their authorities and their whatever it is. But in America, you know, we're just kind of like, fuck you, we're going to do what we want. You know, that's kind of our attitude. <laughs> and so I think all of us from news media, just to the average Joe on the street, I think we were very casual about it. Um, I don't know what your opinion was, but I was very casual until I started listening to the reports from Italy. And then I realized, yeah, Italy, Italy was the wake up call. And then, yeah. uh, so what happened, uh, I, I probably already told you the story, but what happened uh, at my work was on March 5th, uh, it was a Thursday, got an uh, email from our director that said, you know, things might be happening and you may not need to work from home soon. So you should go home, you know, tonight when you go home, you should make sure that you can actually work, would be able to work from home. And I got home and I realized I can't. So I actually went to Best Buy and bought some things so that I could. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I should take, you know, I should, Friday I should try and work from home uh, just to make sure that really it works now. And, and basically that's when I started working from home was March, uh, March 6th. So that was before most people were starting yeah. to work from home. And uh, I'm obviously older. So uh, between all those things and the people that, mostly stuck around at work until the, the bitter end when they were really forced to leave were the people with like small children who just had trouble getting stuff, you know, were getting interfered with by their, by their kids. So it's but, yeah, I mean, I felt lucky, you know, every, I think everybody that's able to work from home realizes how lucky they are to, to still have a job and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. We're not all experiencing this plague the same. No, a there's a lot of people that are really, really struggling. So. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it's still very early. It feels long, but it's still very early in this story. And it's, there's a lot more bumps left in the journey, I believe. Right. Um, both with, from an economic perspective, from a health perspective, 
Um, I just, you know, I, it's, it's early, man. <laughs> Five years from now, we may be able to piece it together and say, okay, what we did here was right. What we did here was wrong. But right now we're five months in. Well, actually almost six. Cause you said, you said March 6th and it's March already. 6th. Yeah. March 6th. And you know, Santa Clara County where we are, uh, yeah. was actually the first one to declare yeah. a state of emergency in the, in the country. I, yeah. I think. And that was the third week of, of That was March. like in February that they did that. Oh, in February. Oh, yeah, I think. But they, they didn't do a shelter in place, though. No, they didn't do a shelter in place. But they because I actually live across the near uh, the hospital where like one of the first uh, community transfer patients uh, was. Um. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the mask I'm using these days is the one the hospital gave me when my wife had to go over there a few days after, you know, later or something like that. So, yeah. Wow, you're getting mileage out of that mask. Uh, yeah, I probably should get a new one. <laughs> you should buy some. But at yeah. this point, at this point, my mother-in-law just started making them, so we have probably at least a dozen in my house. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, but that's a cloth mask. There's different layers, right? Like you have cloth masks, which supposedly are the least protective, and then you have um, like a work mask, and then you have an N95, which an N95 is probably one of the or respirators are probably the best. But yeah. there's like levels to the whole thing. I think the cloth one is supposed, I could have sworn that was better than the one I'm using right now, but I'm not sure. Cause I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, actually my other fun was actually getting my mom to start watching out. She's about 78 and she oh, yeah. was up in a retirement area. Uh -oh. and, you know, it's a lot, uh, not as dense as down here in terms of the oh, population. Good. And uh, you know, people were still, scheduling things and she's like well i don't know and i'm like no mom don't yeah <laughs> you know just say nope and uh you know but yeah it was like trying to corral somebody who's you know was having a pretty good social life and you know was so well you know i i think social life is important to your immune system i'm no doctor but i think if you if you're in a situation where you're elderly and maybe you don't have a spouse or a significant other anymore. I think to just be alone is it, it could be detrimental to your immune system also. So you, I think you, it's a balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's uh, I think it's a huge deal. Uh, the, yeah. I think uh, in Britain, they started up a whole uh, loneliness, uh, you know, anti loneliness campaign and, you know, Good. is such a big and that was before COVID. Ah, okay. Because it is so detrimental. I mean, you know, we're a social species and need to be I, around people. Even people that don't think they need social interaction with other people find out they do. I'm glad. I'm glad you made that point. I've I've talked about it too many times. You listen to the podcast, so you probably know. But I I went into this thinking I was an introvert, and within yeah. a week or two, I realized, holy shit, maybe I'm not an extrovert. But I'm definitely a person, I need what's happening right now. I need to be talking with people about things. I need right. to be just chopping up. I need to be making jokes with people. Um, and once I, I lost all of that, I realized, okay, I, I think as far as personalities, traits go, I'm fairly well equipped for this. And I have a wife and children, so I'm always around someone, right? Right. But, I mean... I'm the type of person who I have enough things to tinker with. I like music. 
I like RC stuff. I like, I just have these hobbies around me um, that could keep me busy. I like writing. So I could be doing these things. And then of course I have a job where I'm talking with people, but I realized not doing my podcast face to face. And I kind of fell off. I was doing, I was getting to the point where I think I was probably close to doing at least two podcasts a week, kind of averaging that and then doing two to three open mics a week. So I had a, it was a good social life. You know, I didn't even, it snuck up on me. You know, I was like, at first it was open mics. Yeah. Once a week. And then it went to twice a week. And then I started a podcast and then I realized, oh man, I got, I'm constantly talking with people. <laughs> and, um, and when it all went away, I was, I did, I'm not saying I was depressed or anything, but I definitely felt like, oh, you know, something's missing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting. What was, do you think, what's your opinion? I was talking about it at the beginning, but do you have any takes or opinions on how, people like us who are trying to hone writing and performance. Uh-huh. What is it going to look like over the next year, two years for us to continue to either be quote unquote standups, which I don't think that's what we are right now. We're, we're some, we're morphing into something else. What do you think that form is going to take? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think of the zoom, sh- the, the base, you know, the things like we're doing now where we're doing this, I, I am not a futurist. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I, uh, and I feel like I've actually been quite, uh, lazy. I have some friends that, uh, you know, are like, you know, really going after doing zoom shows that are based in New York or, um, you know, other, or LA really getting their name out there through the zoom and meeting people like that. So I think it is a good, uh, way to get you, you know, now you don't have to travel any place. Right. So take advantage of it and be on shows that, and meet, you know, a lot of new faces and get in, you know, add people to the, to your audience and things like that. And then on the, the writing thing, I've had, I really, um, struggle to force myself to write. Um, but I started, um, uh, why am I having a uh, Holly Shaw has a, uh, does something every Monday at seven thirty. Uh, where you basically, she has like five or six prompts and then you choose as many as you want to, to, uh, to try writing something and you have 30 minutes and then you actually go, uh, around and perform it. Um, and so that's really good for me. That's a good amount of time. You get 30 minutes to think to yourself. You get 30 minutes. I, I mean, basically the 30 minutes becomes a deadline, right? So like the first time I've done it three times. The first time okay. I tried to just, all I did was write. And, um, and so I tried two of the prompts and, uh, you know, I got a so-so response. And then the, the second time I said, okay, this time I'm just going to do one of the prompts. So I'm going to write and I'm going to edit. <laughs> and okay. so that, that worked out much better in terms of getting, um, a response. But yeah, I mean, suddenly you have a 30 minute deadline so it's forcing you to just you know whatever you can come up with and everybody knows that that was your you know that you had the 30 minutes um and and everybody's pretty supportive and she's supportive and so it's been uh that's been really good so do you need an invite to that show uh let's see i think i think the most people that can do it is like 20 but i'll send you i can send you a link but anyway it's holly jaw 
and she got she had been posting it in bacon and um okay other places on facebook so but it's been really good you know what i didn't even think about what you just talked about i didn't even stop to think you could be looking for other markets and joining zoom meetings in other markets oh okay yeah I should do that because that means your East Coast Zoom meetings are probably starting at what, five o'clock our yeah, time? Yeah, isn't that, that's actually been really nice is that we're doing shows even on the West Coast that are earlier than we were used to, right? So now yeah. I get to bed at a reasonable time. I remember Monday nights, like sometimes just getting into bed at 1230 and I usually... Oh, yeah. Yeah. But now, when I would, yeah, yeah 1230 yeah. would be a good time for yeah. me. So, uh, yeah, no, there's shows, uh, the East coast shows are like five and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a good way to meet other, man. I, you know what? I'm not using my time wisely. I'm not either, <laughs> but I'm, I am enjoying the, the slower pace of life sort of, which I yeah. realize is part of the privilege. Um, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, um, Hmm. I need to start doing that. I really do because, uh, you know, here's the thing. I don't, I, I know what, what's going on with the Zoom. I know it's so helpful. Yeah. It's so helpful to the writing process. It's so helpful to you, uh, as you just mentioned, networking and getting to know other comics. Um, but there's, there's some factor to it that I haven't felt comfortable with yet. And so I've just kind of been like, I'll go to one a week. And yeah. that's kind of the extent of what I want to invest yeah, unless no, someone invites me, unless someone says, hey, McCarran, can you come to the, then I'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll show up. Hell yeah. But then I haven't actively been looking for things. But once you just put it that way, like I could be doing Zoom shows in New York. I could be doing in Chicago. I could be doing LA ones. Right. Um, that's actually sounds really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> right. Have you done any in different time zones? Uh, I did uh, Jordan. Jordan Leung was doing his no pants comedy. He stopped those, but he was, he was, uh, I think he's still out in Hong Kong. So he and, okay. um, Anne, who used to be out here, but moved to New York were, uh, sort of co-hosting that. I, but I think he, it was just him near the end, but okay. he was, he was like, you know, right. You know, I think you interviewed him, right? He was like, uh, yeah, right yeah. The, yeah. Like 10 minutes I did. after the, shelter in place started he was starting a zoom show so that was really i think there was a whole host of guests that i had booked prior to shelter in place and ironically it's you know it's weird how these things line up it's like i had booked him and then we went and shelter in place and within one day of shelter in place he scheduled zoom comedy shows and then he just went ape shit and he was scheduling them like four nights out of the week. And then he started his no pants comedy from, I was actually, I'm really shocked that he, I, so I hit him up. I text when I saw that no pants comedy was more or less shutting down. Yeah. I hit him up and I was like, what, what's the deal? I mean, you were the first guy, he, he, like he has the claim to being the first zoom um, comedy event. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. No one was doing it. And he like literally second day of shelter in place. He was like, boom, this isn't, I'm doing it. And, but he just said he's busy with other things. So I assume he's got a job or something like that. Yeah. Well, and also he was in, um, 
he's in Hong Kong. So he was having to wake, you know, basically he was starting the shows when he was waking up. <laughs> okay. So he was sort of tired. When he, but I, I don't know. Yeah, that's I think I heard him on your show say that he was, um, you know, had other things going on. And I th- I did watch the last show he did. So and okay. that's what he indicated on that one, too. So I didn't realize that was a bi-coastal. I thought that was a Bay Area thing. But yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing for me was his was the first show I watched. Yeah. And I know this sounds bad, but it was really nice to have the show be less than an hour. No. Ed, that is not bad to say. People <laughs> do not realize this. To you non-comics out there, you don't realize how much time we sit on our ass waiting for our turn. <laughs> do you know? So you mentioned Monday night. Yeah. Monday nights for me were a big nights. Sometimes I would do three rooms. Oh, In fact, okay. Monday yeah. night is my biggest not com- my biggest comedy night of the week. Before right, you, place. I know. In fact, I know on your podcast you would do it where you went to Dude. Union City, then boom, to boom, boom, Fremont. yeah, yeah. We go all over the place, and so, but that was from eight o'clock to I would usually be dropping Kyle and Faco off by maybe one thirty a.m., and we started at eight. Yeah. Actually, sometimes like 745. So 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That's five hours for effectively 15 minutes of mic time. Right. So we invest five hours in whatever, $15 in gasoline for 15 minutes. So Monday, like as far as the conversation with the wife goes, it's so easy to say, oh, I'm going to go hop on the Zoom I'll be done at 930 or whatever. But now this is what I will say. And this is a good sign. Woodham Zoom mic is getting, it seems like every time I join, it's getting more and more comics and more and more um, viewers. I don't know if you've noticed that too. Uh, I don't know about the number of viewers, but I definitely noticed like they, uh, this last one, there was uh, the guy from New York was on there. mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I know Pete has a lot of connections in uh, San Antonio, Antonio. Texas. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that helps, you know, bring other people from other parts of the country. So, yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good. So it, it's not as quick. I think the first few times I did it, I was in and out in maybe 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. Now I'm kind of, I'm on there for, another, I think it was close to an hour and a half and it was getting close to 10 yesterday or whenever we did it last Monday. And I was kind of like, uh, I haven't seen everyone, but I'm going to bounce because <laughs> this is getting, this is getting to be like a typical Monday night where we're, you know, yeah, waiting yeah. around a lot, but, but normally, yeah, I get, I get your, um, your point and I agree with you 100%. It's nice to be able to pop in. Maybe you don't even stay the whole hour. You do your five minutes. Well, and this was just watching. It was really not, you know, yeah. I mean, there is a certain point where, you know, you're like, oh, man, I'm tired. I really (laughs) at our level. Yes. Yeah. It can become if because we're all working through shit, you know, one hour with a professional national touring comic is very special. And the time flies one hour of open mic comics (laughs) trying out their jokes for the first time. Yeah, it it's long. It feels long. I was talking with a guy, I won't bust him out, but I have all these ideas and, and most of my ideas around, um, you know, presenting something, packaging and presenting something. Uh huh. And I was trying to think of uh, a way to, you know, package and present open mics. And this guy I was talking with, he, he's in the scene, but he's not a comic in the scene. 
And he was basically like, man, trying to sensationalize open mic content is, that's a tough, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to make really engaging for a viewer just through video, right? Because I feel, I feel, this is what I feel. I feel stand-up comedy, in my opinion, I always enjoy 10x more in person mm -hmm. than on TV. Oh, so yeah. what I mean to say by that is you take an A-list national touring comic and I watch him on Netflix or I watch YouTube clips or something and sometimes I'm kind of bored. I buy a ticket for that same comic and I go watch him and it's like, I love it. It's the time of my life. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. yeah. You know where I'm going with this? And so this is people at the top of the stand-up comedy game who I watch and I just kind of, like, eh, you know, like, ah. So if you take open mic comedians <laughs> and try and put together some kind of compilation tape or something, it's not, it's probably not going to be. Oh, you're talking, are, are you talking about pe having the people watch it live or you're talking about doing, trying something else besides anything, that? anything besides any kind of multimedia show that isn't in person, but using the open mic community, the open mic performers, you know? Oh, okay. I, I think the zoom, it, it has more of the feedback than I was expecting. It's, it's not as good and you don't feel yeah. like you're, you're able to do a hundred percent. I mean, but you know, there is change, you know, you play with the backgrounds. That's been sort of fun. Um, yeah. And play with the camera, you know, uh, uh, but I, I think that the feedback mechanism and, you know, one of the great things is that everybody's name is up there. So when you're, mm. you know, uh, sometimes you can, you can, you don't have to say, Hey, you, whatever, just say, Hey, Michael, you're, yeah. you know, or Matthew, you're, you know, sorry about that last joke. I, I saw that you winced. So, um, yeah, it, it's a lot more, you know, it does have its positive aspects. Um, and I think there's just a lot of people that, I mean, look, you know, these people are like, how many times do you see people post on Facebook? Hey, I'm looking for a new show. Um, so I think, I, th I definitely think that it's, you know, part of keeping people entertained. I mean, you know, some are going to like it. I mean, <laughs> my, honestly, my, my problem is, you know, posting it, trying to post things about a show I might be doing so that hopefully my mom won't decide she really wants to see it because that always feels a little awkward. Oh yeah. You know what? I keep, um, Love yeah, you my social, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My social media stuff is, um, I just wouldn't bring my family into this world. I wouldn't, I, I care for my family too much. I know there's some comics who it's like they have their comic friends and then their family and they're in each other's threads. And they're to me, it just, that feels kind of gross. Like, here's what I want to do. I want to use comedy to explore these crazy, dark, sometimes troubling thoughts that pop into my head and make them funny. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't necessarily want my mom and dad a part of that world <laughs> <laughs> or my wife or my cousin or my sisters. You know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like I, when I let's say I do this for 10 years. Let's say this plan goes through and 10 years from now, I'm still doing it. Yeah, I want my family to come to one of my live shows, but right. I don't want them to come to my, uh, not live show, to one of my like 
I'm preparing for a show like a, like a rooster tea set. I want them at a rooster tea set, but I don't want them at Woodham's or Caravan because I don't know. I'm just going there to just run my mouth. And I don't know if these jokes are going to land. And, and I cross the line, you know, that's yeah. another thing that we have to do to know the boundary of what, where our hyperbole will be funny and where our hyperbole will be um, gross or offensive. Right, right. And so you want to gauge, was that, did someone just have a gut laugh or are they just really offended? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and oh, by the way, I can't gauge that on Zoom. I, on yeah. Zoom, I, I just hear noises, but I don't know if that was a laughter or an awe or a kind of like a groan. I don't know what's coming at me. I just hear noise. I don't know if you have a, if you can discern, but when I'm seeing people's faces, I yeah. get a sense for what that sound was that they just made. Uh, yeah, I think that is the hard, the part of the hard part with Zoom is that, you know, some people have noises in the background and so they oh. go mute. It's and the that's worst. that. Yeah, that's the the killer. It's like you'd like to hear their their uh, things, but uh, but then then it has a crackling noise and it kills yeah. the whole thing. So, zip <laughs> tight. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had actually, um, these days. I guess I should actually go back to the God bless you thing, right? Oh Since yeah, God yeah. God bless you came about during the plague, is my understanding. <laughs> Which plague? The Black Plague or the? I believe Ninth? Black Plague. Yeah. That, that was always my understanding. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah. Oh, here's a question that um, probably I could find in a, if I just Googled for 10 seconds, but I haven't bothered. Yeah. So I read up on the Spanish flu a little bit okay. and it was I interesting. I'm going to know, but yes. Oh, okay. So I read up on a little bit uh, and it turns out that the, the, well, the Spanish flu didn't even start in Spain. <laughs> Oh yeah, it I, was I something. That, heard, did you talk about this with somebody else a little bit? Oh, maybe somebody else. Maybe okay. Then I won't go over it again. But anyway, the Spanish flu it went in two waves, and the second wave was the worst. But here's what I'm not clear about: I don't know what kind of flu the Spanish flu was, and I don't know if when we get a vaccine shot, does it include a vaccine for the Spanish flu? Because uh, it went away. Right. But then how did it go away? Did we get a vaccine or did it just go away because it killed everyone who was susceptible? That is a good question. I don't know that there was a, if there was a vaccine or not, but it, it seems like it would have, you know, knocked out everybody that was susceptible, right? Yeah. So I guess where I'm going with that train of thought is... I don't actually know when the first vaccines of anything came along. I, I know obviously know that the polio one came in the 50s, but I don't know about any other... I don't know when the flu shot started. Um, you'd have to That's look that true. up. true. Well, I know they had inoculation for things like smallpox, even back in the like 1700s, right? Because isn't uh, that one of the stories with Washington when his army was getting some kind of smallpox or infection? And one of the doctors found that if you cut the infection on one guy and then rub it on another guy, the other guy gets a slow like antibody to it or something? Oh, really? I don't know about that one, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know. I mean, I know the, the smallpox was still going in the 1900s, right? I think so. Yeah. Cause I'm pretty sure that my uncle was in, you know, went to some country to help uh, inoculate people. Yeah. No, I think, 
I think it took a long time for uh, smallpox, mumps, measles, and meningitis vaccine. I mean, we're talking literally like probably in the late 90s, 1990s, or right. even 2000s before we said that, okay, smallpox is eradicated or measles is eradicated or whatever. And then with all this um, anti-vaxxer movement, me, um, measles and mumps started coming back. Not yeah. on a large scale, but it, kids were getting it, which is like, that's a mind boggler. I, I don't understand that one. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, well, that was the whole um, autism uh, scare, right? Oh, that's right. That it was a reason for them getting autism. I mean, I can't blame parents that are, you know, have a kid, that, a child that's autistic from trying to figure out what happened. But that was a false cause. Yeah, but even when you weigh, I mean, when I'm looking at it, I've seen pictures of what both smallpox and meningitis can do to a person. And I also have a minimal understanding of autism. And, you know, my, I, I have family who work in um, cognitive behavior therapy with autistic patients. Oh, okay. And my neighbor has an autistic son. And like, if I had a scale, even if I knew there was a one in 10 million chance a vaccine that would prevent measles and meningitis, but possibly cause, even if that was true, even if it was true, which it wasn't true. Right. I'll still vaccinate <laughs> yeah. because meningitis and measles, those are nasty, nasty right. things that can scar people. I mean, terribly scar them for life. Uh, so kill them or kill them. There we go. Yeah. So to me, it's like, even if there was truth to that rumor, I still say vaccinate the kids, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, well, when but people get hysterical about this kind of stuff, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, when but, you think about it, all the, med all the medical sciences, the reason people are, you know, now only have a few, you know, few kids, right? Because you're, they're much more likely to make it to adulthood now. And way back true. when they were having 10 or 12 kids to hope, hope to get half of them through. You were hedging yeah. your bets. Yeah. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, but the original, so the original train of thought I was going down is, so I don't know, I, I'll Google it. I'll Google it after this and maybe bring it up in the next podcast. So um, let's say the Spanish flu just ran its course. Mm -hmm. And now somehow the, human population has this strain of resistance to whatever that virus did. The coronavirus may just have to end that way. Um, from what I've read, very little on this latest vaccine that's actually gone to trials. Uh, there's like a six month shelf life on the antibody that you form for now. Oh, okay. Which means if you do the math, like, okay, so in America alone, we got 350 million people. So everyone's going to need the vaccine, but you're not going to get 350 million people vaccinated in six months time, which means there'll probably be like a moving window, right? Of by the time you finish vaccinating some of the population, the other population will need revac. So what I'm trying to get at is, are we ever going to be able to solve for Corona with a shot. And again, this is something we can't answer right now. It's going to take five years, but if we can't, then what kind of, I mean, what kind of changes are we going to have to make? 
which I think is the big question. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, that's, that's tough to say. I'm going to, I'm going to try and be more optimistic on that, that, that okay. I, I hope that they will, I mean, right. I mean, things still take time to do the testing and feel yeah. like it's safe, right. And that it's effective. So we, we will have to see, I, I don't, you know, I don't know enough. Yeah, neither I don't do think I. They know. I mean, you know, there's so many different people, you know, trying different vi- uh, treat, uh, vaccines. So we'll have right. to see what, what happens. Yep. Uh, so I think it's too early to, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, being Pollyannish, but I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that they'll come out with something because, you know, uh, it, would, it would be bad if this, the whole shelter in place lasted another year. Yeah. So this would not be good. Yeah. And we still have to get, you know, I mean, I think they're super worried about winter, right? Because winter is going to be both COVID still going to be with us. And so with the flu. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I, I, there was a minute where I thought my kids would be going back to school, but then again, that was another thing, kind of like the barbers where we had the barbers. (laughs) Yeah. for three days. And then they said, Oh no, sorry. Got to shut down the barbers again. Like the same thing happened with school. I told my daughters like, yeah, you guys are going to be going back to school in August. And they're like, yeah, we get to go back to school. <laughs> and then four days later I go, Oh, actually, no, you're still going to be doing distance learning. Yeah. So. My, uh, my son that goes to school in Michigan, that school is as far as I know is still planning to have classes. Okay. Their, their plan is to have the small classes in medium-sized rooms, the medium classes sure. in large-sized rooms, and the large classes all online. But I, I don't know what they're going to do to control the college kids getting together and and do and, and things like that. So it's good. Yeah. I, I'm uh, if I were, I would not bet on them actually going back to Michigan. But we'll see. We'll see. Um. Wait, wait. So he has a choice. If he doesn't want to go to the classrooms, he can stay. I, d- I don't know what choices they're giving people. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I, it'll be interesting to see, because, you know, when they made that, the, when they sent that note out, uh, Michigan was actually doing quite well. And then the next thing I know, I saw a graph saying their cases were up 50%. In fact, he had a friend go to a different school in Michigan that was back back there and was at one of those stupid hundred person parties that got COVID. So. Um, I think anyone who was at a protest or a party recently probably, you know, has got it or is carrying it asymptomatically. Uh, I, it probably depends which protest you went to, right? Cause mm-hmm. I, I honestly did not go to any of those protests. Uh, I, I went to like, some of the early protests, like when Trump first got into office about uh, about the immigration protests, those I went to. So that mm-hmm. was pre-COVID. But my impression is that some of the protesters were better about wearing the masks and staying six feet apart than other protesters. So. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. And it was outside. So I, True. Hope, I hope that would help. So Yeah, the only ones I went to were family-friendly ones. So everyone was standing... <laughs> far apart with their signs, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, uh, 
I don't know. It changed a lot. I thought we were turning a corner. That's why I started doing my podcast again. And then uh, in my garage. And then, oh. I, then I realized, oh, you know what? Maybe that's still irresponsible. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm not planning to go. My, or at least the current, my current thought is basically like maybe a month after they say, oh no, it's really, oh, everything's okay now. It's like, okay, well, I think I'll, Give it another month. I'm I'm hoping to be able to give it another month after that before I. You know what? Me and you think exactly alike. This must be an old white guy thinking, because I've been <laughs> saying that since the beginning. I said I'm going to be n plus one, which means whenever the government and the health officials say it's safe to go out, I'll go tack on one month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and obviously, as I said, I realize that's part of my privilege, but um, talking, but. Uh, but yeah, I just very nervous about getting it because I do, you know, I do know somebody that I went to high school with and she's been knocked out for like three or four months with it. So, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Yeah. Most of what I hear in the news is it's either like, if it hits you really bad, then you're in the ICU getting um, blood treatment or ventilator, or it hits you kind of bad and you're done in 10 days or you're asymptomatic, which is like, oh, I have it. I didn't even know I had it. No, there's definitely a group of people and I don't know the percentage, but, and she's part of this where they've been, you know, waylaid for, you know, where they weren't in ICU, but they have been waylaid for like three to four months. So that's so. like pneumonia. When you get pneumonia, it's like even after you cure or not cured, but even after your lungs clear up, you're still weak. Right. Right. So, Jeez. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, you know, you just, you know, I realize the percentages are probably better, but I am on the, you know, going to the older side. So, we'll yeah. See. Um, but yeah. So, it, so, and you know, when, uh, when you have responsibility for kids and parents, yep. uh, Oh, you have to be careful. Co-we- co-workers. I mean, we're re- you're responsible to a lot of people, so you got to yeah. take care of yourself. Just, you know, like I said, I feel sorry for the people that basically have to have to go out there and do do the work, uh, you know, because they're essential workers and they don't have a choice. So, yeah, so. no, thank, thank goodness for them. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Delivering packages, taking temperatures, bagging groceries. My God. Yeah. That yeah. is crazy. So I, I do realize how lucky I am. So yeah, I want to stress. I want to stress that. Yeah, yeah. No, me too. I'm, yeah. I'm very, I'm very happy about it. Trying to do good things with whatever kind of uh, blessings that I have. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So yeah. yeah. We'll see about that. But so, um, what else, uh, what other kind of stuff do you got looking forward to, or is it, you going to keep just doing the zoom open mics? Uh, in terms of the comedy stuff. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I know that some people are doing the drive-ins, uh, and some people have enjoyed that. Um, I have not done one of those yet. Um, but I thought about it. It's just, you know, I, I don't, I just don't know. <laughs> no, don't do it. I can tell already. Yeah. <laughs> there's, see, here's what I'll say. I don't think if you're in a position, here's, here's where I would say, maybe this is me rationalizing, but I would say if you are in a position where you can get your job done from shelter in place. Yeah. 
here, here's how I'm looking at life right now. And I wish our government would have done something like this. Like I used to make fun of this concept. Remember back in the days of after 9-11, we had threat levels. Right. And the government out of nowhere would say, oh, we're at red. And they wouldn't explain why we're at red. They would just say something. We found out some information and we're at red. And it was like not helpful. And it was more irritating than helpful because you go, okay, well, what should I be on the lookout for? My lookout for a knife? My lookout on a fucking nuclear bomb? What am I on the look? But anyway, I think this is an area where actually having like a three light system, a red light, green light, yellow light would have been very helpful. And I don't know if I've talked about this before, but here's how I would have, if Matthew McCarran, YouTube sensation had his way, this is how I would have done it. I would have said every activity gets assigned a value, right? So something like going for a walk, going for a jog, going for a hike, um, hanging out in your yard, or being with the people who live in your house, this is all green light activity. And you can do as much green light activity as you want because the probability of you getting infectious disease from doing these things is so low. Like let's not even talk about it, right? Don't even distract people with how they should behave when they're going for a walk. Just avoid people. Yeah. (laughs) But then you got yellow light activity, which is kind of, you're getting borderline. That could be things like, I don't know, going to the grocery might be pretty high risk, but I'm sure there are things out there that are kind of in the middle, right? Where your probability of catching a virus, it goes up, but it's still within some kind of measurable risk. And then there's red light activity. There's things like going to the dentist. There's things like um, getting your hair cut, going to the doctor. These These are all areas where we know um, there's significant chance of transferring the virus, right? Right. And then we say, okay, now this just turns into a statistics game where you say you can do unlimited amount of green light things. Maybe you could do one yellow light thing per week and then red light, try to only do that if you have to do that. So doing a drive-in, um, a drive-in comedy show for a guy like me or you, I would consider that red light. And there's no reason for a guy like me or you to do a red light activity. I I, I mean, a red light, something like that. Now, if I'm a comic who, this was my living and I need to keep my skills up, then I think I would consider doing that. And the reason I'm saying this is because I feel economy is important too. I can't discount the amount of people who've lost jobs because their career happens to be a red light thing, but it's not a red light thing that is deemed necessary, right? So a barber or a hairstylist is a perfect example of people I feel really bad for because I understand 100% what they're saying. It's like, I got to make a living. And the government basically just said, I can't work. And the government's going to run out of money at some point and not pay me unemployment. And so I would just say, as a leadership, I would go, that's a red light activity. Recommend you don't go to the barber, but if you need to go to the barber, then just know that you should do that and then nothing else red light activity for a month or something like that. <laughs> and, and I would categorize you know, a drive-in com- uh, stand-up comedy for a guy like me or you, like we just shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I think it would heavily depend on making sure the other comics all, you know, stayed away from each other and, and things like that. That's the only way I can see it being. Yeah. And I'd, I, I haven't asked anybody about the feedback mechanism, but it seems like the only laughs you're going to hear from are potentially the other comics because everybody else is just using their headlights to yeah. hate laughter. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, yeah. So I, I, I'm pretty much with you though. I haven't really felt this need to go do it. Yeah. So, um, the time will come or maybe it won't. So here's some things that I think are going to be 100% in our future vaccine or no vaccine. All right. Shouldn't you have like a, uh, the future according to Matthew? Yeah. I'll get a graphic together. Yeah. Do that in post. You know what? I should I should start segmenting the podcast. That might make it flow quicker. Do okay. Now we're moving into Matthew's prediction in a little crystal ball. Yeah. Bing. Yeah. Um. I I'm gonna bring my own mic from now on. I I know that I know at least one person I know that's that bought their own mic. Yeah. And if and if another comic wants to trash me for that or make fun of me, go for it. <laughs> Have fun with your mouth herpes, my friend. I'm using my own mic because I've wanted to do that already in the past. Cause you know me, I mean, just even for my own act, I do fart noises. I'm yeah. close in, you know, like I, I make it worse on other comics. Let's be honest. My act probably has more spittle involved than any other act in the Bay area. Like I should be bringing my own mic. <laughs> so I can tell you right now, Matthew McCarran's spittle comic. <laughs> that's what I am. I'm a spit. That's my specialty. That's my act. <laughs> Folks, if you want to come see me live, you can expect a lot of spittle on the mic. <laughs> um, so I'm bringing my own mic from now on, um, whether we have vaccines or not, whether it's enforced or not. I'm just bringing my own mic. Um, hugs are gone. And hugs for me have been gone a long time. Like I, uh, you know, probably since the Me Too movement, I've been like, hey, I don't need to hug anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. I, I don't want that trap. And then I think even handshakes for me are going to be gone. I don't think I'm going to shake hands anymore, but I do. I enjoy a good handshake. I've never been a fist pound guy. I prefer the handshake, but I think probably handshakes are gone for the rest of my life. I think it's, it, for me, it's all going to depend on what, you know, what the, the current environment is. But yeah, I, I mean, like I, you know, Bef or once the shelter in place started, I was like doing the elbow thing until they basically said, Oh, you need to stay six feet mm -hmm. away. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm with you though. <laughs> yeah. There will be changes. Yeah. yeah. Who knows though. So well, hopefully one of those changes will be our government. We'll see. Oh man. We could talk about that for days. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't know. At this point, it's so far gone. Do you think it's fixable? I mean, I mean, in the United States, is it even at this point, I kind of feel like the disease is going to run its course and then hopefully we get a vaccine, but I don't think there's any backpedaling on all the mistakes that have been made. But I, I kind of feel like I'm in the boat that it's not just our political system that's at fault. I think our media is at fault. I think our journalistic system is at fault too. 
because we have so many sources of journalism coming in. There's no coherent fact check that this network has this doctor, that network has this doctor. And you heard so many in the first two to three months of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. You heard so many different things about pros for masks, cons for masks, um, social distancing, should we be shutting? And these were from medical professionals. Well, the mask thing was, as far as I understand, the whole mask thing was that they, the supply was so low that they needed those masks for the medical profession, right. the people in the hospitals yep. and the doctors that were going to be surrounded by people with COVID. Yeah. And we wanted to try and prevent them from getting COVID. And so we didn't want to run on the COVID uh, on the mask, just like we had to run on the toilet paper. Right. So that that's yeah, uh, and unfortunately, that that whole message stuck stuck, and now now they've you know now it looks like they're backpedaling and like they lied to us. And so. well, there there are some countries. So again, like Asia, mm -hmm. they just this is part of their culture because since the early two thousands, they've had numerous um, pretty significant respiratory outbreaks. So wearing a mask for them is just, everyone's always prepared with them. Um, but even in Europe, where I think there are some countries who did the right move, were just telling their population, don't worry about masks, don't worry about masks. And then later they, they backpedaled and said, oh, actually, if you can get masks, get masks. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, all right, it helps and it's not going to hurt. So you, sh you should definitely get it. So I, I don't know. I just kind of feel like uh, there's, there's cultural things that we we weren't aware of with handshaking, with hugging, with being close in each other's, even the way, I guess, supposedly, even the way American talk, talk my, my European friends tell me this, when we talk to each other, we're typically closer than would be comfortable in a place like England or Germany or something like that. We're just loud talk, in your face, talking people. Oh, I, I've been, so, I, I've encountered uh, people from other countries that are even closer talkers. But uh, I will say this, yeah. one, one of my points about, about what's been going on is this, yeah. you know, there were other countries yeah. that were experiencing the need for ma uh, PPE equipment and stuff long before we were. Why weren't we doing anything to help them? In the past, we would have, but our current government didn't see a need to help anybody. It was all... You know what I mean? It's like, why, why, why weren't we gearing up and producing a bunch of PPE equipment in January when the other countries like Italy were? Oh, well, I, okay. I can't, that's a tough question. Yeah. I can tell you this. And again, you've probably listened to the podcast. So you, you know, my opinion on this. And I don't think this is controversial at all. I think this is a logical like proven thing because we don't have any kind of national healthcare concerted effort. We have individual health providers and then we have insurance providers and those two are different. And then the healthcare providers, there's different healthcare providers. And sometimes you have healthcare providers who are also insurance providers like HMOs, like Kaiser's or blue cross. So you have just an array of different healthcare systems out there. And when something like this happens, I don't think one knows what the other's doing. They're not sharing notes. I'm sure there's central databases that the CDC, the FDA, they probably all share these things. 
but I can imagine that no one was talking to each other during that January and February and even March period where no one was saying, "Uh oh, we're low," and then this other company goes, "We're low, we're low." So, so it may have been where because there's no centralized effort, it snuck up on us in that no one person knew that they were too low to deal with the rush on the hospital. Uh, I don't. I the reason I don't believe that is because I know that there were already. I believe there was already talk in January that things were going to hit the fan hmm. uh, and that we were in crisis. That's why people talk about the last month of February when we weren't oh. doing anything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the whole, yeah, the healthcare system is definitely a huge issue. Yeah. But I don't know if it was responsible for the lack of knowledge that we needed the PPE equipment. So is the PPP, PPE stuff even manufactured in the States? Yes. I mean, 3M is a huge, I, I believe 3M and some others are big manufacturers of it. Mm. So, yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. That's the parable of the, uh, the gra- what's that parable of the grasshopper and the ant? One is gathering all summer. Oh, the yeah. The other's goofing off. <laughs> we were doing the goofing off. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Our, the, the, the government was busy failing us, so. Yeah. So do you think the change is gonna come in the next voting cycle? I don't wanna name names because I think, I have this theory that if we talk about a certain individual too much, it garners them energy. Whether we give them good energy or bad energy, it'll give them inertia. Do you think there's gonna be a change in the fall? Uh, I'm going to need antidepressants if there isn't, (laughs) I, 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 you know, when, when he came in, I, I thought it would be bad, but I didn't realize it would be as bad as it's been. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I know. I I don't know. I, I still think it could go either way. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. There's a lot of people that have the same view of law and order that uh, uh-huh. that person does. Yep. So, and, and uh, if I, you I look at the all... media cycles right now, we're we're what? We're four months away from voting. Is it four months? I heard something about six weeks because I don't. Uh, I think we have to have the conventions in one form or another. But I don't know what vote when the first states will open early voting. Oh shit! That's wait. No, I thought elections were in November. It's the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. That's way more than six weeks, though. Yeah, but some kind, some states have rules about for mail in. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um. So and by the way, I voted for I voted by mail for years that's fact i think in the last decade i've only voted in person maybe five times i always mail in yeah yeah i didn't even i mean it's not even i i don't get this i don't care i don't need a sticker i just i want convenience <laughs> there's a sticker in the envelope by the way is there okay yeah, i don't even look just wait till election day to put it on but there's a sticker in the envelope from santa clara uh, okay santa county. So, so or have your daughters draw you one Oh, that would be cute. Yeah. yeah. So here's my concern. Here's how I'm seeing it right now. Um, the media cycles I'm following 
and, I, and I'm following like NPR, I'm following CNN, MSNBC, and BBC. Probably none of them are credible. <laughs> they're probably all whatever their own spin that they're trying to just push ads, but whatever. There's, um, you know, there is a the chart that some organization media media something or other came out with that okay. shows you where on the band and in terms of quality and bias, the different news organizations tend to be. Do you know the name of that service? Uh, I'll have to look it up, but I remember I I recently looked it up where they're uh, just googling for a chart about media bias and media bias. Uh, okay. So I will, uh, I'll try and look that up for you. So I, I feel the only one, even Associated Press, I used to go to Associated Press because I used to have this belief. I don't know how true it is anymore because it seems like their reporting has changed over the last 10 years. Um, but I, I, I heard that Associated Press was usually sticks to corroborated information, meaning if there were two or three data points they would report on it. That was my understanding as well. Okay. But even now when I read it, I go, this feels like an op-ed when they're writing an article because op-eds are dangerous. I think that's what people don't understand. When you go to, um, when you go to a CNN or obviously a Fox news, but the majority of what you're getting, probably 70% of what you're getting is an op-ed on news. And an op-ed means someone's forcing their opinion. It's in the name, opinion. They're forcing their opinion on you. Yeah. Which means you don't get to, you don't get to, there's something very. Um, I will, I will gladly stop listening to the liberal representatives on CNN if I can get rid of the right. presidential mouthpieces they put on there. Gladly. Gladly. I hear from either side. Gladly. Yeah. Gladly. Because here's the thing. When we walk out into the world, we're all formulating our take on whatever experience we have. Yeah. But the news is so um, sensational now that what we're getting is 10 to 15 other people's hot take on the data that's coming in. Now, I know news to some extent or another has always been this way. I, no, no, I don't think that's true. It, I, I, well, not at the level it is now, but I think even if you go back to, let's say, William Randolph Hearst. And well, that's I, a bad choice. That's, that's a bad, right? He was, he was Mr. Yellow Journalism. Let's go back to, okay. you know, I, uh, so I grew up with like watching Walter Cronkite and, you know, the various major TV network uh, hosts. And those were the people that were in the middle of the road and some would claim there was a liberal, a slight liberal bias, but it was only slight. Mm -hmm. But those, those were basically when you watched half an hour of national news and half an hour of local news, and that was it. And maybe there was commentary at the end of the broadcast. But that was also when they had the rule about uh, equal time. See, that's so it was probably a regulation, right? It was a regulation. We need that. And it was getting rid of that regulation that brought about Fox News. There are so many regulations that were blown away by both parties 
Both parties have deregulated to the corporation's content over the last 30 or 40 years. And, you know, if anything, if I have any stance, and I'm not a very political person, but if I had any stance, I would like to introduce intelligence, re intelligent regulations, thoughtful, strategic regulations around so many things in our society. I think our banking needs regulation. I think our housing needs regulation. I think our airwaves need regulation. <laughs> I think what I put out there needs to be regulated. <laughs> like everything well, needs to have some kind of control mechanism to say, okay, wait a minute. What's happening here is like, like what I put out there, I put out there is entertainment. Like 100%, this is under a comedy thing. Right. And I say there could be vulgar language because I know whatever comes out of my mouth is not, unless I'm talking like cybersecurity or technology, really I have no authority on anything I talk about. <laughs> and, but the thing is, I don't think I'm that far from, like you said, these talking heads on CNN. Most of them are just good looking people who are charismatic and can hold a conversation, but they're not necessarily trained to be speaking about what they're speaking about. I think there's some that are. I think there's some that are actual journalists, but uh, you know, there's. But then they have the mouthpieces and those yeah. uh, the political mouthpieces, and those, I think they can. They just need to get rid of. I think the problem is that they found out, you know, however many decades ago, how much people like watching people argue, and they've decided that's mm -hmm. what they need to have on TV to get people to watch. And that's why you have like the Food Network. Have you ever watched the Food Network? No, I never got okay. into it. The Food Network, you will never learn how to make anything on the Food Network because now every single Food Network show is a competition show. If you oh, want to learn how to those. cook, you have to actually go watch the cooking channel, which probably gets a lot less viewers than the Food Network. Or go to a YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um well I saw that. It's a very interesting point you bring up because um I saw the same change, but I saw it from a different perspective. So um in the early 90s, they had the first real world on MTV. And if you go and that was I think that was what you would call outside of game shows, I think you would call the real world as the birth of reality quote unquote, reality television. Yeah. Where they just followed cameras around average people. And if you look- And they weren't average people though, right? Well, the first two to three, they were still what I would categorize as good looking people leading interesting lives, but they were pretty average. Um, uh, the uh, first three well, or four- Are you saying every average person is good looking and every average person is leading an interesting life? Uh, okay, so that's a good point. Okay, so I would say they were, they weren't, um, they had other things going on in their life besides trying to be a celebrity. Um, okay, yeah. They were probably, there was a guy who was a model. There was another guy who was, um, I, I forget, but they weren't, like the end goal of being on Real World wasn't to become a celebrity. The end goal was just, okay, I'm in this thing. Mm -hmm. And I get free housing for whatever three months right, or six yeah. months, but that but see that didn't last long. If you look at the first, second, and third episode, it was kind of boring television 
Well, boring by today's standards because they weren't fighting a lot. There was some conflicts, there was buzz and it was juicy. It was, you know, juicier than your own home life or whatever. Right. But then once people started fighting on that show, I think that's when things with reality television really took off. And then I, I watched maybe season one or two and it was also my age, right? Like I was probably 17 or 18 at the time. So, you know, it was, and I liked music. So MTV, they were playing this like, okay, there's no music. So I'll watch it. So it was kind of like, I got sucked into it, but then every effort I saw um, of reality television from like season three on, I realized was a showcase in the worst of humanity and that we got off when I say we, I just mean society in general, we're getting off on watching people treat each other as shitty as they possibly could. Oh yeah. And, but what I didn't, it's what, what's the word? Is it fraud and Scheuden or Scheuden? Oh man. Now you're making me mispronounce it, but it's the German word for taking joy in other people's misery. Hold on. Schadenfreude or something. Frauden. Schaden. Schadenfreude, something like that. Yeah. Schadenfreude. Yeah. Schadenfreude. Um, Pleasure derived by some from someone. So what happened is we started getting a kick out of watching people get tricked, get uh, yelled at. And so it became this really perverse thing that from the mid nineties all the way through now, where we're so trained that anytime the television comes on, you actually, Ed, you bring up a really, really good point because I think we've all been conditioned by what's on our television or media or whatever, because now it's just our mobile phones, right? To think the only thing worth listening, listening to is conflict. Right. But not just, I'm not just talking about conflict like man versus nature or like uh, Moby Dick or Shakespeare or dramatic stuff. I'm talking about just let's really treat each other shitty about every opinion we could possibly have that differs from another person. (laughs) Right, right. And And so it's bad. It's bad. It's out of control, man. Yeah. And, you know, they don't they don't discuss on those shows. They don't discuss, you know, uh, the issues in any great detail. They just basically go into who won and who's losing and who's likely to, you know, it's all the, the back and, you know, it's all the human interest story about, you know, decisions Congress or whoever is supposed to make. And it's just mostly finger pointing and um, citing statistics that prove your finger pointing is justified. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I, I actually, I've kind of, when COVID first hit, I really was watching a lot of news and then I realized, oh shoot, it's messing with me. So I stopped watching it and then I would check in once or twice a week. But now I think I've probably gone, I don't know, maybe only five days since the last time I checked the news. I'm trying to just, and I don't check my, my social media feed much anymore. I go into messenger to talk with, you know, you or other people but I'm not checking my feed because everything feels so toxic. And I'm like, you know, I, I still have a job I need to attend to. I'm very fortunate that I can be around my, my kids. They're young. This is a perfect time to play with them. So I can't have all of this nonsense while it is important. It's all important, but I can't, it's not helpful right now. 
So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Self care during this time is extremely important. So, uh, you yeah. know, whatever it takes to stay on an even keel is probably a good thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. I made the mistake of looking at my Twitter feed today. It was uh, quite upsetting. What are some of the Twitter, um, like who, who do you follow? Like what kind of stuff do you like to follow on Twitter? Cause I don't really look at my Twitter account. Oh, I follow, um, uh, basically comedians and, uh, political stuff. Okay. Yeah. So. Who uh, are some of your favorite comedians right now? You know, I don't have, uh, that's a pretty good question. I don't really have, I do actually like, um, who did you interview? Um, Mark Normand? Yeah, Mark Normand, uh, Jim Gaffigan. Oh, I like Gaffigan. Uh, yeah. Um, who else? Um, I saw Lori Kilmartin. She was pretty, yeah, she's. Oh, yeah. She does a great, have you ever, she's a great one to follow on Twitter. Basically, she inverts every uh, headline about the current president, but makes it about um, the person that lost in uh, 2016 and basically says that she did this stuff and want to oh. you know, point out what it would sound like if she had done it and not the current person. Oh, interesting yeah. satire. Okay. Yeah. So that's been really good. Um, who else? Um, yeah. That's a good list. Yeah. What about, so are, do you listen to, obviously, uh, I appreciate it. You listen to, am I making sense? What do you listen to other podcasts? And if so, which ones? I listen to, uh, I've been getting back into the podcast. So I, okay. I sort of had stopped, but now I'm, so I'm going back to the, I, I listen to Hot Breath. Do you listen to that one? That one's mm. a really good one. Okay. Uh, that's uh, um, Joel Byers. He's in Atlanta and okay. he interviews comedians, basically. Uh, I'm writing that you know, down Finds too. out like how to, writing and just gets uh, tips and. Oh, I probably like have listened to that. I've listened to a lot of what I would consider the technical aspect of stand-up comedy. And so hot breath, I, I mean, I've probably listened to at least a dozen that have to do with yeah. either interviewing, like uh, um, where some people break down sets on like famous sets from top oh, Okay, yeah, that, that's, I think that, I know there's a show called Let's Talk About Sets. Yep. This one is really like, he you know, uh, interviews basically, you know, uh, different comedians and just gets their, um, you know, it's sort of a free flowing thing, but he, one of the things that's most interesting is he does a lot of research before he interviews somebody. So he sort of gets all the, the high level stuff out of the way, right. Uh, early, and then can get more down in the details. Uh, he tends to ask them, tell me about your biggest bomb. Yeah. Uh, you know, things like that. And, uh, so I've gotten a lot of good stuff out of that. He did an interview recently with somebody who's like calls him, goes by the name of the joke doctor. So that was really an interesting interview. Um, so I think I know through, that name too, either through a podcast or reading something. I think yeah, I know that name. Yeah. So um, that's one I highly recommend. And then I also listened to, um, was it school of laughs? Um, but okay. I haven't listened to that one a couple months, but that one's that one. That person's been around a long time. Uh, some people, you know, he does tend to have a lot of our um, skewed, or he has some people that, you know, basically do comedy in churches and stuff like that. Mm. So some people, there's a little more religious bent than 
some people might feel comfortable with and some people might feel comfortable, you know, as just yeah. a little, you know, I say funny is funny. Yeah. So, um, but that, so that one's been interesting. So those are the only ones I, yeah. So, and I also listened to uh, Jason Cole's podcast. Okay. Oh so, yeah. I haven't listened to his in a while, but I got to yeah. get him on here. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, it's a shame that you like, there, there's really, I mean, I, I, since shelter in place, a lot more of us in the Bay area have done podcasts. I've seen a lot pop up, but yeah. prior to shelter in place, there was really, God, maybe uh, I hope I'm not offending any Bay area comics, but it feels like there was maybe only around at most a dozen of us podcasting. That could um, be. I know um, it was Jason Coles. He did it pretty regularly. I did it pretty regularly. Um, me and Dave and uh, Erie had theirs. I think and they still have theirs, don't they? They still have it, yeah. yeah. And then, um, of course, Sean Boyles has his. Um, but Jason Coles, I haven't, I haven't had on the podcast. I really need to get him on the podcast. Yeah. And he goes solo for over an hour. That's what's amazing about him. Yeah, he does go for an hour. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. I yeah. I, I, yeah. I think that, you know, yeah, it is crazy. I don't know how he does it. But it <laughs> I don't know. He basically sits there with a list of things he wants to talk about. And, yeah. You know, and he, he does tend to review one of his sets, but not, not like detail by, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. It has fun with it. No. Well, I think from I've probably only done maybe six or seven solo podcasts, and those were only anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah. But this is what I'll say. I do think that it will make you a stronger comic on stage. And the reason I say that is because it puts you in the frame of the mind where you just say, I have to keep moving my mouth. And when it's with me and you, I can pause because I know you're having thoughts and right. I know you have takes on things and I can just pause. And if my mind and mouth kind of shut down, it's fine because me and you have each other to kind of think things through. It's a mind meld type of scenario. I right. think it works a lot better in person. I think when I'm podcasting face to face with someone. I think it goes a lot smoother, but the zoom is fine too. The zoom works, um, not as well, but decent. Um, but for people like the Jason Coles and the Sean Boyles, they just get on and start talking and that's, you know, it's different than stand up, but it's also, there's a muscle there that I think is similar. You could be right. You could be right. I think for though, I would, I would guess that it's probably, you're probably right that it's better that it's better for one aspect of stand up but i would i would bet that doing the interviews is better for um crowd work type stuff where you're learning to inter you know you're listening to people and you're taking what they say and responding i think that's good trick that's what i've had that feedback from multiple other comics who said you need to whatever persona you do in your podcast which isn't even a persona. This is just, it's just yeah. me. I, they say you need to bring that on stage more and you'll come off less robotic. And I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to bring a podcast <laughs> mentality on the stage? But I, I see their point because I'm much more loose when I talk with people face to face than when I get on stage and I have a list of 10 jokes I want to deliver. Yeah. 
Um, well, I, think I, I definitely know that for me personally, one of the things that I realized was that it was really important to try and make the connection with the audience. And that, um, and so I think that that, you know, doing what you're doing really builds that, right? Because be. you have to make a connection with each guest and yeah, and get into a rhythm with them that way. So, yeah, yeah, that could be. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Hopefully, <laughs> the two are. Um, what did actually Jordan? When I was doing the podcast with him, he had a really good word for that. He said, um, he said during these times, everyone should be doing something that is. Oh, I forget the word he used, but it's like supportive of uh, in parallel to or. Oh, yeah. Sort of um, complementary to. Complementary. He said there's complementary skills that you could be right. working on. Right. Mm-hmm. And for him, it was, you know, doing the Zoom. Um, for me, it's doing the podcast, which the way I, I, I keep telling myself, like, I need to come up with a format because I don't come in with segments and I don't really write too much. There was a moment in time where I was writing jokes for my guests, but that lasted like four or five shows. Oh, you and know, then I go, oh, I can't, I don't want to do this because it's weird when you just have one other comic and they're kind of standing there like, oh, and then you're going to bomb on a lot. But Norm McDonald does jokes on his podcast. No, but yeah. he, I mean, this is Norm McDonald. When he writes a joke, even if it's a bomb, people are laughing. Um, At least he assumes so, right? Uh, you know, yeah. he only has whatever audience is actually listening to him, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny uh, because I don't know if I've already mentioned it in previous podcasts, but, you know, one thing I do not like when I'm watching uh, late night shows and they Uh bring on guests Uh is if they have it where the the host is supposed to say stuff so that it can drive the comic into doing their bits. I really I dislike that. I think up and until probably the last decade. That's how all comic interviews were. And I didn't realize that. I, but, maybe I didn't either, but then it became so obvious. And I just thought, this is, I don't like it. Well, go watch anything with Rodney Dangerfield and Johnny Carson. Yeah. And then go watch Rodney Dangerfield's act. <laughs> 100% Johnny was leading them right into it. Yeah. Into his, his like... When I used to watch Dangerfield do his seated interviews, I always thought, this is all off the cuff. Right. Then I started doing my research and I started doing open mic stand. I realized, oh, as comics, we really repeat ourselves a lot. Like to the point where it's almost like we're playing a song. We're a band and our joke is the song and we're playing it so much. And then I went back and I watched my favorite Rodney Dangerfield interviews. And I go, wait a minute, these are Rodney Dangerfield jokes. And then I go back and I watch more of his stuff and I go, oh, Johnny walked him into all that. Same with Steve Martin, same with um, uh, Richard Pryor. Like all of these guys were being like worked into a bit. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I thought it was fine before, but now it just sort of turns me off. Yeah. Well, I think comic audiences want genuine. Yeah, yeah. So I think, uh, I think that's why most successful comics now are conversational comics, not one-liner comics. Um, although my favorite comics are one-liner comics. Uh, not like, like, you know, uh, uh, like, here we go. 
not to be, not to make you uncomfortable, but I like your style (laughs) because you have a very definitive setup punch. Yeah. And that makes me giggle. It always has like, uh, you know, the, the Rodney Dangerfield days, the, um, I'm trying to think of other good one-liner, um, comics. Um, why am I forgetting his name? Um, the guy who died of heroin. Oh, um, yeah, I know who you're thinking of too. Shame on me for not knowing yeah. this as an instinct. I know, I know. And I anyway, just... I like guys who don't go up there necessarily with a, here's, here's a talking point or here's a nice anecdote that I'm going to queue up with punchlines. Like, it's just like, bam, bam, bam. I'm going to yeah. hit you with setup, punch, setup, punch. I like that, but it's not, you know who, you know who I think that it's their style and he's kind of a throwback because I believe Mark Norman's that way. Yeah. You watch how he, um, I, that time I interviewed him, I was lucky enough to be able to catch his show at Roosters. You can't call him a one-liner comic because there's an arching story in all of it, but the way he's delivering, it's very much set up, punch, set up, punch, set up, punch. Whereas a lot of comics nowadays, and again, I think anyone with a really big special from Chappelle to, well, not Gaffigan, actually Gaffigan's like this. Right. Yeah. He's very much a punch, just like a setup punch kind of guy, but he works it into overarching story. But anyway, I'm rambling now. I think the point being is that if you look at top people, they're conversationalist comedians. And that's because I think a comedy audience wants a genuine interaction, which is another reason why I think podcasts are hot because this is, This is me and you figuring it out as we go. We don't have, I have zero agenda. We had no conversation to start with. We just go, okay, let's talk. And whatever comes right. up, right? We'll, we'll <laughs> hash it out and figure it out. But I think, so we've changed. So I get it. I get what you're saying that um, anytime there's a contrived or a um, artificial setup, it doesn't yeah. feel good as a, as a fan. Right, right, exactly. So, yeah. So that's my personal opinion, but yeah, I, I don't like that. So yeah, but. I get it. What other? So okay, what else are revolving? Do you read any books on comedy? Books on writing? Uh, let me see. I have not recently. No. Have you? Yeah, I'm reading one right now called the Comedy Toolbox. Oh, who's it? Toolkit. Um, it's by ah shoot. You know what? I don't have it downloaded on my. Let me um. Bear with me here for just a second here. We'll play some music. Do, 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 yeah, I'll, um, I'll send you the, a link to that, one, the, uh, that Hot Breath episode that I listened to because he was, uh, that was really interesting in terms of how to deal with getting yourself to do right, you know, sit down and write stuff and, and sort of warming up writing and stuff like that. So it was sort of interesting to hear. Yeah, I would very much be interested in this. So the name of the book is The Comic Toolbox, How to Be Funny Even If You're Not. And the author is John Vorhaus. And his claim to fame is that he was a television writer. So um, he, um, he is not just writing for stand-up people. Um, he is talking about just comedy writing, whether you're writing sitcom, whether you're writing blog, whatever, whatever your thing is Mm -hmm. on how to make it funny. Okay. 
And it's good. You know what? Any book where there's writing exercises, I enjoy. I don't even just, I don't even buy books on comedy writing. I buy just books on writing and, and read them and go through the exercises just, just in case someday <laughs> I want to write something or write a script or write a... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very fascinated with writing. I always kind of wanted to be more of a writer, but I just haven't uh, made the commitment. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because I know I've struggled, or, you know, I've talked to a couple of people that, you know, have struggled to try and do any writing during this, this whole time. And it's like, you know, we were struggling before this time. And now, I'm, you know, it's just like, it does, it feels so, you know, everybody's on one track. Um, yeah, it's hard to, you know, get up the whatever to, to try and write something that isn't a joke about whatever we're going through. So well, I found my that all that's all I can write about right now. I can't see anything else to write about. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Uh well, it's because this is it, right? I mean, let's just like uh I, you know, there was a point where I was super sick with something and you know, everything else drops uh by the wayside and that's all you think about is dealing with that. Mm. <laughs> and that's what's uh happened here. That I don't know. Yep. Oh, I mean, obviously now we have the the two things, right? We've got the the corona, and then there's the other social unrest that's going on. So. Yep. Um, and then a big election coming out that you know. Yeah, the big election. So, uh, yeah, let's hope let's hope things change after that. Um, let's hope we all learn how to be our funniest, even in the worst <laughs> of times. <laughs> Because yeah. you know what my wife told me the other day? No. She said that crying and laughing, psychologically speaking, have the same therapeutic, um, the same therapeutic release. That's interesting. I don't know where she read that. I think she's been reading a lot about um, child psychology and parenting because you know it's 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 more it's definitely more enjoyable getting more time with the kids but it's also more challenging and it's not even an aspect of we're not even parents anymore now we're also teachers like i'm not taking anything away from the teachers they've done a great job to try and um arm us with whatever classwork um we need to make sure our kids are educated at their age level uh -huh. but ultimately it falls all on me and my wife to make sure that they're hitting their um markers. And so there's this other, um, level that we're playing <laughs> with parenting. <laughs> but anyway, so she read this. So she said, you know, when it comes to working with your kids and getting through difficult times that if they're crying a lot, yeah, you may want to try and introduce more humor, more la more fun things to do. Because the laughter comes, the laughter and the sad and the, the kind of weeping and crying, those are both ways of coping and they have the same kind of release mechanisms. Um, it's not that crying is bad, right? We got to cry sometimes too, especially kids. They need to cry. Right. Um, you know, if it's, if you feel like they're going down the route of depression, then let's try and be funny. So anyway, the point I'm trying to get, again, I'm rambling. I tend well, to do this in this if podcast. If they're, if they're on the depression, then you probably need to have yes. somebody see them. Yeah. yeah. So um, so what I'm trying to get at is as comics, we do have maybe not an essential role, <laughs> but we need to learn how to be funny and make people laugh because it's either this or we're all going to start just right. putting our heads down and cry. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because I was listening to, um, you know, I mean, like Atu was talking about how, you know, comics have to call out, you know, the Ill- illogic of society or stuff like that. But uh, I, I certainly, you know, wouldn't say that I do that. I'm more in the just trying to keep, you know, entertain people or make them forget about things for a little bit. So uh, I think, you know, I, th- I think what he's talking about is incredibly important, but I think there's also room for just trying to be entertaining and, and take I think so too. off too. Stuff. I think so too. And I think, so Steve Martin, another one of my, I'm a big fan oh. and also, and uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I, he influenced me because it was before my, you know. Oh, no, I would just, say he's my, uh, he's my idol. Okay. So I think he's a genius and if I could even be, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think he's a genius. And I, I read his book, Born Standing Up. And um, he wrote something very interesting about comedy and why he ended up where he ended up is because he said at some point, because he did te- as a, his initial stand-up comic career or whatever you want to call it, was during like the time of the Vietnam War, right. um, the Nixon administration, like there was a lot of nasty shit going on. Mm-hmm. And what he said is he realized as a comic, he could go into rooms, especially in major metropolitan areas where he knows the room is so politic slanted politically one way and just say something like, Oh, well, fuck Nixon. And it would be like, yeah. And he would just win the crowd. Right. Yeah. It was just easy. It was like, you go in and then boom, I've got the crowd. And then all you have to do is do your little rant or whatever. He walked away from that style. And he realized, um, I'm going to be butchering. I'm going to be butchering his book. You got to read his book, Born Standing Up. Um, yeah. But, but ultimately, what he said is, he said, "I'm taking this in a different direction. I want people to f- to be out of their political mindset when they're watching me, and I want them to be entertained, and I want this to be genuine, just gut laughter about silly up." And he was an absurdist. I mean, that's how yeah. he got his fame is through absurdity, and so. That was his ultimate conclusion. And that's when he changed his tack with comedy is he just said, no, this is all going to be absurd, funny stuff. But I think even some of his stuff was kind of commentary, but it was like really so absurd that you couldn't connect it to anything other than this is really absurdly funny, but you are still kind of learning a little something. Um, yeah, it's hard. yeah. I, I listened to his uh, Wild and Crazy Guy and um, the other one, the small one. Uh, just over and over and over again. Just, yeah, you know, yeah, I just love them. So, yep. So I think you got to do both. If you can eloquently, if you're a guy who can, like Chappelle is a perfect example for me. I really enjoy social commentary from Chappelle. Yeah. And somehow he makes it really funny. But I don't think that type of style is made for everyone. And I don't think everyone should be trying to do this. And if, and he's kind of invested his life in activism, Chappelle has, and comedy. And so it's right for him to do that kind of humor. I haven't lived a life of activism. So I don't, I think if anything, if I try to be, have a political voice, it's more disingenuous than funny or enlightening. It's kind of like pandering. Um, that's not to say I don't throw stuff out there 
in my set. I do from time to time. Cause I just got it on my chest and I'm like, ah, this bugs me. I want to, I want to yeah. satire it or I want to pan it or, or something. And I, I do it. Um, but I don't think it would be disingenuous if I made that my act, you know? Yeah, no, I've, I've had some political, jo- you know, some, some jokes that I've said just because I just couldn't stop myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, sometimes you got to say something, you know, something. You got to. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and sometimes it does better than others. And sometimes people will say, Oh, I don't want to politics. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, no, I, I think, and I think he's earned it too, right? He's done so much, you know, mm-hmm. he's a lot of, you know, that people are really interested in what he has to his take on things. Yeah. Cool. Well, Ed, I, um, I think we got to wrap this up. I'm going to try and uh, okay. speaking of family, I'm going to try and tuck the kids in now. Um, is there any other last comments you want to throw out there or obviously uh, you're probably not promoting too much stuff right no, now. Not promoting, uh, uh, things. Thank you for having me. I look, I uh, hope there'll be another chance. I always, enjoy Oh yeah, this is fun. Yeah. 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 I always feel better after talking with my, uh, comic friends. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I don't think we ever solve anything, which is why I call it, am I making sense? You know, but at least we're trying to just. Yeah. But you know, it's funny because I don't know about you, but when it comes to like NPR, mm-hmm. one of the things I notice on NPR is I feel like I'm learning stuff. Mm. Whereas when I listen to some things, I feel like they're trying to sell me stuff. Like some new, some, some uh. new trying to sell you stuff. Whereas NPR, I feel like there's more of a of an attempt to at least educate me about some aspect of of something, mm. you know? and so I appreciate that. So mm. I don't, you know, I don't. You don't was that a comparison talk. of Am I Making Sense to NPR or? <laughs> no, it was a comparison. You you said, oh, we didn't solve anything, and I guess yeah. I'm saying, yeah. You don't always need to solve something right. viewers interested. Sometimes you just have to, you know, talk about stuff that's interesting. So. But I, you know what? I would have appreciated that if that was a comparison. I love NPR. <laughs> so, and, and, and I would say NPR are the people that I'm by my standards. Again, what are they worth? I think they're the ones presenting news as news more often than not. Yes, yeah. there is a slant there. I get it. Everyone says, no, they're not non-biased, but I feel like a lot of times they're doing what you said, which is like, oh, hey, um, this is happening. Um, What are the different angles and how does this affect us? And then it is kind of conversational or maybe there's some opinions that leak in there, but they try to keep it very scientific, if you will, when they dissect things that are going on. Right. And hopefully they're talking more about nuances of an issue or interesting aspects of an issue and less about the personalities involved in an issue. Yes. Right. I I love that word nuances. I just really want everyone to talk to each other and listen to each other with that nuanced ear. Yeah. I think we've lost because of reality television and news (laughs) cycles. Yes, to wrap it up neatly in a bow. Yes, I agree. <laughs> so that's why I love talking with my all my friends in the Bay Area comedy community because we're all just talking to each other, listening to each other, and hopefully, hopefully, appreciating each other. Yep, yep. 
So well, I hope everybody enjoyed listening to this. I hope everybody yep. stays safe. All so. my t- 44 subscribers listening to uh, the YouTube sensation here. <laughs> exactly. We're going to get uh, you to 46. Ooh, man, will we having a crazy party if we get to 46 <laughs> subscribers? My goodness. All right, Ed. All right. Thank, thank you for you joining, much, my friend. Matthew.